got some Capri Suns, maybe some Cheez-Its, amen, maybe some goldfish. What do you think, Harrison? Goldfish today? All right. Thumbs up. All right. Harrison's my bud, amen. All those boys. Love them. Don't you love youngins? Amen. I do. I love them and thank God for them. And, and I appreciate you parents making it a priority to bring your children to the house of God and be influenced by the word and the people of God. Amen. Psalm 119, verse 113. Hope you turn in there with us. I love that song. I told them in the first service, first time I heard that song, I was, uh, you know, having one of them days like you have and we all have. And I was riding across Highway 411 there in North Georgia and I began to hear that song. Chris Tomlin had just released it years ago and, and one of the things that just really ministered to my soul, it was one of them times, I don't know about you, but the Lord gets a hold of you and you got to pull over and have a little talk with Jesus, amen? But one of the things that really ministered to my heart about that song was he said he loves me and he's for me, amen? Well, you need to know that today, that he is for you. The word says if God be for us, who can be against us? And even though then we'll talk today from Psalm 119, there are many forces that work against the work that God is doing in and through his people, we can be uh, confident in the fact that he's never left us to ourselves He's for us. Amen. Psalm 119, verse 113. If you're physically able, stand with me in honor and reverence to the reading of the Word of God. The Scripture is also on the front of your worship guide, as always, and on the screen behind me. But let's follow with me, if you would, as we read together this next stanza of the 119th Psalm. Beginning one verse, one, excuse me, verse 113. The Bible says, "I hate the double-minded, but I love your law." You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. Depart from me, you evildoers, for I will keep the commandments of my God. Uphold me according to your word that I may live, and do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Hold me up, and I shall be safe, and I shall observe your statutes continually. You reject all those who stray from your statutes for their deceit is falsehood. You put away all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love your testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of you. I am afraid of your judgments. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the privilege to be able to read your word publicly today. I thank you for honor to be able to stand and declare thus saith the word of God and I thank you for these people who have gathered here in person those who are worshiping with us online today because father you love all of them you are for them and I am grateful to God for that promise use your word today to touch us challenge and change us and may we bring glory to you all the days of our life in Jesus name Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. If you're watching online today, you'll notice the entire outline of this stanza is available, but as I, the first service, we got to verse 115, so we'll do our best, but that, that may be as far as we get today. If it is, that's all right. We'll just keep farming through the Word of God and pick up where we left off. We'll just keep plowing. Amen? Because I, I know something, that the Word of God is a plow. The plow turns over fallow ground. When fallow ground get turns over, it has to be worked so it's useful. And I'm just praying that God would do that in all of our hearts today. 
I'm speaking to you today on the subject of engaging the enemy, and the Bible does teach us that the body of Christ has but one enemy, and his name is Satan. Since the very day that he was kicked out of heaven and was cast down to the earth, along with one-third of all created angels at that time, uh, he's worked diligently and tirelessly to thwart the work of God here on earth. He constantly tries to imitate what God initiates, and we see that over and over. He doesn't have anything new. He threw everything he had at the first century church. He tried to stop them then. He continues to try to do it. He had no success then, and can I say to you, he'll have no success in stopping the church. The church will always stand because it is built on Jesus Christ, the true rock of all that we believe. He is our foundation that stands sure. He thought he had stopped God at Calvary, thought he had ended all of this stuff, thought that, that when Jesus was crucified on Calvary's cross that that was it. He had defeated him once and for all, but bad news for him, good news for us. Three days later, Jesus got up from the dead. Amen. When he did, he conquered death, hell, and the grave, and because uh, he did that, ladies and gentlemen, you and I have hope, and we have blessed peace, and joy unspeakable, and full of glory today. We must remember, though, that our enemy, Satan, he is a created being. And because he is created, like you and I, he is not omniscient. He doesn't know all things. He's not omnipotent. He's not in charge. God is uh, the ultimate authority. And he is not omnipresent. He cannot be in all places at all times, one place at a time. But even though he is not omnipresent, he does have many agents. Many agents doing his work. Uh, those demons, one-third of all angels created, were cast out of heaven with him. Those fallen angels are doing his work here on earth today, and it is evident all around us. Also, those that are lost without God are engaged in the work that he is doing to try to thwart the work of God. I've met people before say, well, I, I'm not a Christian. I'm not a follower of Jesus. I, I'm not for God, but I'm not against him. And I'm not doing the work against God. I, I'm just living my life the way I want to live. Well, ladies and gentlemen, there is no middle ground. You cannot choose today and say, well, you know, I'm just going to kind of ride the fence. There's no fence traveling in this thing. You're either for God or against God. And if you're not for him, then you are doing the work of Satan. You are involved in his work. See, Satan is our ultimate enemy, but we are constantly engaged as the body of Christ in New Testament days and the days of grace. We are engaged in a spiritual warfare against all of his forces. The psalmist here back in the Old Testament time was subject to attacks all around him because he had accumulated some enemies. He had accumulated some people who did not love God the way he did, those who tried to lure him away and cause him to compromise his own integrity and therefore compromise his influence for God. So he had many enemies. You may say sometimes, you know, I'm a follower of Christ and I really just want to get along with everybody and I believe that the Bible does teach us as much as lies within you, you should live possibly with, peacefully with all men. But I want you to know, when it comes to right and wrong, if you're walking with God, you're going to have some enemies. Winston Churchill said, you know, and he said, you got enemies. He said, that's good. That means you stood up for something somewhere in your life. Amen? So it's not always a bad thing. 
doesn't mean we go out to create them. I've never woke up any morning and said, I want to go out and make every enemy I can today. No, none of us would do that. We want to do the right thing. We want to be a friend. We want to be a bridge builder, not a barrier builder. But if you stand for righteousness, those who do not will oppose you. See, the psalmist didn't flinch when he encountered the enemy. And he gives us some help today and how we can understand that we must respond when we are in these situations. Warren Wiersbe said, If the life of faith consisted only of meditating on the Word and loving God, life would be easy. But people of faith have enemies, and life in this world is not easy. Somebody said amen to that, right? Warren Wiersbe is exactly right. If all we had to do was meditate on the Word of God and love God, it'd be a peaceful, easy feeling. But now, that's not the way it is. Ladies and gentlemen, people of faith will always have enemies because of our stand for righteousness. It's not that we want to create them, but they will be present because we have made a decision to cross the line and commit our lives to following God. As we talk about engaging the enemy, we look to the Word of God for some help and some instruction and some understanding. We're going to notice in verses 113 through 115, uh, the psalmist begins to make a request. And the first request he's talking about is that of relief from chronic pain. Now, he's in pain because his enemies have caused much of his pain. And he understands what it means to live through that. I know people, and I have people in my family and friends and beyond that live a life of chronic pain. When someone is dealing with chronic pain, they look for ways to find relief for that. I told him in the first service my granddad had Parkinson's disease, and I can remember as he would begin, it began to progress, and as things got worse, that he had lots of pain in his legs, and we didn't know what a neuropathy was. We couldn't spell it, and couldn't play one if we would have had one, right? But we we didn't know what that was, and. Uh, Nevertheless, uh, now later though, but he, we would constantly look for different, <coughs> excuse me, creams, or as he called it, salve, that we could put it on his legs and might bring some relief from the chronic pain that he was experiencing. But the psalmist is talking about a pain that goes deeper than just physical pain, but pain that hurts your heart, pain that causes great discomfort. And in order to give some instruction for us how to handle that, he goes on what I call a scriptural retreat. In verses 113 and 114, he talks about those things, and he begins in verse 113 by using a very strong word. And he uses the word hate. Now, I know as Christians we struggle a little bit with that word because we don't want that to be part of our vocabulary as being a hateful person, and that's certainly not what he's talking about. When I was raising my girls, I told them very quickly, I would hear kids tell each other they hated each other. I would hear brothers and sisters tell each other they hated each other, and people would say it's just kids. But I, I even heard children say to their parents that they hated them and all this kind of stuff. We just wanted to go ahead and get that word out right quick and that that wasn't going to be present. Nobody hates anybody in this home. Are you all all right with that? And nobody hates anybody beyond this home. We don't hate people we're not hateful people we're loving people we love God and we want to demonstrate the love of God that's very important but biblically the word hate occurs 100 over 150 times in the Bible 
And it is a difficult word for Christians, but Jesus teaches us in the Sermon on the Mount, the one we know well, he says, we're to love our enemies and not hate them. However, Scripture instructs us to hate or reject things that contribute to the spread of ungodliness. I mean, we're going to have some things I've been made aware of recently that are going to probably soon that are in our legislature in our state that are going to come back up again. You know, they're going to probably push for a lottery vote and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, if you don't want, if you want to know where your pastor's going to be, I hope you don't even have to ask. I hope you know where I'm at. But I'm not going to be hateful, but I hate things that continue to contribute to more and more poverty. I hate things that say to people, you can get something for doing nothing. I hate things that say this is an industry, but it has no product. <laughs> Amen? So it's okay. I don't like those things. I don't dislike those people that push for them. I love them. I pray for them. I pray for their repentance. They come to Christ and get their heart right. But for those things, I cannot continue to say, boy, let's just continue to teach people to, to just to play games of chance and just say, we're going to get rich and we're not going to do anything to get there. That is ungodly. It's unbiblical. And I don't like it. You know why I don't like it? God don't like it. You say, well, I'm not sure. Well, I am. Anyhow, I'm convinced that he's convinced. So nevertheless, I believe that's what he's talking about. We don't have to like these things. We can have a holy hatred for these things. And when we read the words of verse 113, we may struggle with the way it reads, but we have to understand the meaning. Here's what he said. He said, I hate the double-minded. He's talking about those who have vain thoughts, divided thoughts, and he was on, had constant pressure on him from his enemies and the psalmist begins to talk about his tendency to waver. Uh, listen, there is a battle that is always going on in our minds. And listen, men, men, you listen to me for a second. Sister, don't check out, but just take a break. Men, listen to me. We struggle with the battlefield of the mind all the time. Now, ladies, you do too. Don't let me leave you out. But I'll tell you about it. Men really, really struggle, and Satan attacks the mind of men because if he can get you thinking wrong, he can get you living wrong. Amen? And I believe it. I call it the doctrine of stinking thinking. Amen? You just can't fall to that, right? So we have these fluctuating thoughts uh, about our faithfulness to the Word of God. Every child of God experiences times of doubt and discouragement. And if you're in one of those situations now, if you're in one of those valleys where you are going through times of doubt, discouragement, you're wondering what's going on here, there, we've been through this year-long pandemic deal, what in the world is next? Don't ask that. Don't say what's next. Please don't say what's next. Uh, don't say what else can happen. Please, please, please don't do that because I promise you it could be a whole lot worse. Amen? So we live with those things. We do deal with doubt and discouragement. And these moments are when we are most tempted to compromise our convictions and fall into sin. Listen, sir, let me get back to you. If he can get you thinking wrong, he'll get you thinking, my wife don't love me, my children don't love me, nobody loves me, my dog don't love me, nobody loves me. Look, if everybody quits loving me, Mo's done told me she loves me. But anyhow, nevertheless, we get to thinking all this kind of stuff, the people at church don't like me, all this, and next thing you know, you think everybody's against you when we're really all for you. Amen? It's very important you understand that. If he gets you thinking wrong, you will be tempted to compromise your convictions of what you have lived by all of your life and followed all the days of your life because you're in a period of doubt and discouragement. 
James said this in James chapter 1 verse 8. He says a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. Here's what it shows. It's a word picture of trying to walk around with your foot out of joint. Anybody ever try to do that? You ever watch sometimes on college football when they don't get the replay back far enough and you've seen some of those leg injuries where the leg's going this way and the foot's going this way and it's not supposed to be going that way? They're not going to go very far, not going to walk very far because that foot is out of joint. So it's important we understand how dangerous a double-minded man can be. He is undecided, therefore he is uncommitted and is a person who gives half-hearted effort. There is nothing more frustrating than half-hearted effort. You know, we talk a lot about football here because it is God's favorite sport. I didn't know if y'all knew that, right? Just kidding. He loves baseball. He loves wrestling. He might like basketball. I don't know. But anyhow, no, no, I'm kidding. I'm just seeing if y'all is. He loves all those things, and those are good. We enjoy them. There's nothing sinful about that at all. I love it. But some of the most frustrating things... Uh, for any person, even the fan watching, I'm sure it is for the coach and the players, is when you see that yellow flag laying on the field. I don't know about you, but when Auburn's done something wrong, I love yellow flags, right? When Alabama's done something wrong, that is the blindest referee I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> we weren't holding, we just tackled the defensive lineman. It's okay. This is football. Put your mouthpiece in, buddy. You know, I'm like, you know, we're all tough. And we get all excited. But one of the most frustrating to me is a false start. I mean, you, you got the snap, kid. Don't jump off sides. I mean, you I can remember this. Coach Harper used to tell us this all the time. He said, boys, listen to me. If you're going to jump off sides and you're going to have a false start, you better do it full speed. And if you have a false start full speed, you better not take a step and then bump yourself on the helmet. You better go full speed like you know what you're doing and knock the guy in front of you down. Do not come off. He said, because if you'll do that, it was worth the five yards. <laughs> no, I really wouldn't. But anyhow, that was the best way we dealt with it. I heard about a preacher one time. It was kind of like me. There was a lady came to him and said, you know what? I'm just, you, you talk about, you use football illustrations too much. I just don't like football illustrations. I wish you'd do something else. Here's how he responded. He said, I told the lady, he said, uh, what she was saying was definitely not in my game plan. For a fellow like myself in the third quarter of life and the clock is ticking, I want to get across the goal line without a flag being thrown. He said, I've run the ball all these years with minimum penalties. I don't want to start now. It's time for me and you to leave this huddle and get in the game. <laughs> Amen. I don't think she was impressed. Amen. No, no, ladies and gentlemen, hear me. It is always discouraging to deal with the uncommitted. You don't have to be the most gifted. You don't have to be the fastest. You don't have to be the strongest. But you can demonstrate the ministry, display the ministry of commitment. I call it the ministry of faithfulness. Frustration awfully arises when uncommitment is present and it has done so in the heart of the psalmist. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah's dealing with the prophets of Baal. And you remember he's encountered 450 of these guys and he's by himself. And they're saying that Baal is God and he's saying, no, the one true God is God. And then he stops in verse 21 of 1 Kings chapter 18 and then he said this, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. 
Here's what he's saying. Y'all have made all this case about Baal being the one true God. I'm telling you he's not, but I'm telling you regardless of what you say or what you do, if Baal is really God, then follow him. And they didn't even know how to answer him a word. That word falter is often translated halt, which means to leap. That is what a double-minded man does. He, he wavers back and forth. They leap back and forth. And the psalmist had a holy hatred for this type of behavior because he was starting to see that it was present in himself. Ladies and gentlemen, here's where the rubber meets the road in the text today. It's very easy for us to find a lack of commitment and sincerity in the lives of others what about us how often do we turn the mirror of the word of God around to ourselves and let God's word show us what's really inside of us instead of finding the error in everybody else C.S. Lewis wrote about this in mere Christianity when he said this he said now that I come to think of it I remember Christian teachers telling me long ago that I must hate a bad man's actions but not hate the bad man or they would say, hate the sin and not the sinner. He said, for a long time, I used to think this is a silly straw-splitting distinction. How could you hate what a man did and not hate the man? But years later, it occurred to me that there was one to whom I had been doing this all my life, namely myself. However much I disliked my own cowardice or conceit or greed, I went on loving myself. There had been never been the slightest difficulty about it. In fact, the very reason why I hated these things was that I loved the man. Just because I loved myself, I was sorry to find that I was the sort of man who did these things. You know what C.S. Lewis is talking about? He is saying, all the things I detested in others, sometimes I started finding those same characteristics in my own life. And he said, I could not understand how I was supposed to love this man when I didn't like what he did. But then I realized there was somebody in my life that I'd been playing a double standard with. I had a double standard because I couldn't love someone else even when they did ungodly things, but I didn't have no problem still loving me when I did it. Amen? Oh, ladies and gentlemen, hear me today. King David wrote so many years ago in Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24, he said, Search me, O God, and know me, and try my heart, and see if there is any wicked way in Everybody else. I ain't what he said. Let's see if there's any wicked way in government and clean the government up. See if there's any wicked way in the other people down at the church and clean them up. See if there's any wickedness in my community and clean them up. See if there's any wickedness in my schools and clean them up. No, 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 no. He said, God, I want you to let me know if there's any wicked way in me. You know what he was saying? He was literally saying, 
God, I want to invite the investigative hand of a holy and sovereign and righteous God into my life and I want that holy and sovereign and righteous God to point out my errors and not my friends, not my neighbors and not my brothers and sisters, but to point it out in me and get the man inside the circle around my shoes right with you. So easy to find all the error in everybody else. It's so easy to spot double-mindedness, lack of commitment around us, but it's very difficult when God says, hey, that person is you, and you're holding everybody else to this standard while you've got one down here for yourself. You say, wait a minute, preacher. I ain't come to church for that today. I just look, I ain't like that. No, I'll tell you, I know the problem. The problem's always been everybody else around. It's not me. It's kind of like I told him in the first service. Y'all remember Dr. Justice? Come on now. David Allen Justice. Me and him had the same middle name. But he didn't spell his right. But anyhow, I love Dr. Justice. He was my bud. And... I'd have to go over there and see him sometimes when I'd get the bronchitis or the earache. Well, I had a gazillion earaches when I was a kid and sometimes still do, but I had to go see him. And I'd go in his office there and he'd roll up on that stool and he'd say, how's the old soldier doing? You know, I'd say, well, I don't know, Doc, I ain't feeling too good today. Well, let's take a look in those ears and he'd look in there and he'd go, hmm, hmm. I never knew what all those hmms meant. But I knew eventually what he was going to do. He was going to roll on that little stool he had. And y'all remember there used to be about 40, 11 little prescription pads over there. I mean, they were just laying out there in plain view. You know, you go in the doctor's office now, you won't see that. And he'd go over there and I'd say, hey, he's going to write me a prescription. It's good. I'm going to take a little medicine. I'd swallow some of that, not some of that cough medicine that burns your toenails. Remember that stuff? Then he'd reach over there. Y'all remember the bell? Ding. I remember when he would get toward the bell and he'd reach out that arm that looked like it was 17 feet long. And he'd be going out and say, no, 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 no. Let's don't go near the bell. The prescription pad's far enough. I'll, I'll take a bitter pill, but I don't really. No, no, please don't. And all of a sudden, ding. That meant the nurse was coming. And that meant in just a moment she was going to open the door, put her head in. And he was going, I remember these words. I don't know what any of this medicine is. He'd say, uh, give me about 250 cc's of Kefazol or URD. And he'd call out, I don't know what any of that is. But anyhow, all I know is, is when they gave you the shot, it hurt. And it stayed with you a long time. I mean, you felt it tomorrow. I don't know if they even allow shots like it's probably outlawed today I don't know but nevertheless I remember so well thinking I, I know this is going to make me better I know this is going to bring relief to my situation I know that it's going to bring healing to my hurting ears and throat and everything else but, but it really is painful to get the help 
See, sometimes that's the way we have to understand. The Word of God brings us to the realization of how sinful we are, how holy He is, and it is very painful for us to read it. It is painful for us to hear it, but I want you to hear me. It's like that old shot Dr. Justice used to give you. It might hurt on the way in, and it might hurt tomorrow, but ultimately it's going to make you better if you'll just take it. Amen? So the Word of God has a way of doing that today. And I want to say to you, don't ever shun the Word of God because it says stuff to you you don't like. <laughs> don't. Because this is not my word about God. This is God's word to man. And he is calling us to righteousness and repentance and holiness. And he's saying to us, let me help you get right so you can help others not live a double-minded life. Amen? Sad way to be, okay? Sad way to be. We live in a world today where many people are wavering. Some have sought himself. This type of mentality has infected the church. We major on the minors a lot. We worry about what keeps us comfortable, what keeps our program the way we like it. Boy, haven't we had that all shook up the past 12 months? Haven't we had our thoughts shook up? Oh, I think about that a lot. We can't major on minors. Can't worry about little preferential things. You know, since I've had to learn about social media in the last year, I've seen, you know, there's a lot of people, Christian people, worry about preferential stuff. Uh, they want to fuss about hymnals and words on the screen. And you know what? God's not worried about whether you sing out of a hymnal. He's not worried about whether the words are on the screen. But he is deeply concerned about what's going on in your heart he's concerned about the condition of your heart he's concerned about that it just burdens my heart today to think in the 21st century we've gone through a year of pandemic that we worry about stuff that don't matter what we've got to worry about is, is who's dying and going to hell let's go rescue them that is absolutely the truth right there brother I think you need to say that again you know, I believe I will. We need to worry about who's going to hell. We need to go rescue them. We need to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to them. We don't need to worry about things that divide us. We need to worry about what unites us, and that is the blood of Jesus Christ. Golly, help us. I know that I'm sometimes as out of place as a polecat at the perfume factory, but I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, we got to stay by the stuff. Got to. I can just see Paul and Silas. <laughs> say that for another day but anyhow just had a thought y'all ever have thoughts okay just check it now have a thought but notice what he says in the verse 113 he says I love your law he said you know what this instability in others this instability in my own heart it breaks my heart but I love your law you know what he knew he knew he had something stable. He knew he had something solid. He knew he had something trustworthy to hang his life on, and that was the Word of God. Then he talks about this in verse 114. He says, you're my hiding place. You know what that means? It means that you are a place of shelter. You're a place of refuge. And let me say this about a hiding place. The psalmist didn't go there to hide out from his enemies. He didn't go out there. He is addressing his enemies 
but in his time of retreat, he has went to a place of retreat and refuge so that he might receive restoration and encouragement for the journey that when he came forth out of his place of hiding and refuge and, and restoration, he would be strong and able to address his enemies. Like, you know, in our part of the world, people have storm shelters, and they're a wonderful thing. They're there for a purpose. But you don't go there to live all week, do you? You don't stay in the storm shelter. You don't just go out there and say, hey, I just thought about hanging out here for a couple of days. No, you go to the storm shelter when the storm's coming. And after the storm comes, you get out of the shelter and you keep moving forward. That's what he's doing. Till the storm passes over, till the thunder sounds no more, till the clouds roll forever from the sky. Hold me fast and let me stand in the hollow of your hand. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. That's what he's talking about. Ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you what can happen in that place of refuge. What can happen in that hiding place? What can happen in that place of retreat? Is you can have dreams and birth in your heart and life in that hiding place. They can be given life in that place they can grow in that place and then you come out of that hiding place and you come out of that huddle like we talked about and you go get in the game and you implement what God has given you in your place of refuge oh, God has really got so there, I'm telling y'all y'all think because we've been in pandemic here we, we've not been in survival mode here we have had to make a lot of alterations and modifications and all those cations and all that stuff but I can tell you this during this time God has really begun to burn there's some things burning in my soul right now and I'll be so excited when I can tell you about it because I'm telling you God is really doing a work around us and he's been working all the time we couldn't trace his hand but we must trust his heart he said, you'll be my shield. Not just a hiding place, but it's a, a place of protection and a place of defense. He is our defender. The word of God is a place of safety from all the double-mindedness of the world. It is a defense against hopelessness. So many people are hopeless in our world today, and they've lost hope, and it's dangerous. The wise man said this. He said, the ways of righteous of the righteous and the wicked are clearly divergent. I used to wonder when I was a younger pastor, I really struggled with this when I was younger, and, and I still do sometimes because it's my personality, it's how I'm wired up. But I used to really struggle when I figured out that there's folks that didn't like me. <laughs> I mean, when I started the ministry, I thought every Christian loved every Christian. I thought every preacher loved every preacher. I thought everybody in the church loved each other. I thought it was, man, I thought it was a place of solace, a place of refuge. I, I thought it was the most wonderful place on earth. And it never dawned on me that by preaching the word of God and telling the truth that I would upset folks and they wouldn't like me. I thought, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty likable guy, ain't I? Somebody please say yes. I mean, I'm an approachable guy. I'm a friendly person. I, and, and I enjoy being, that's who I am. I'm not fake. I'm not phony. I'm not plastic. I, I'm, I'm as transparent as I know how to be. But it hit me. When you walk with God, you will experience opposition from those that don't. It's kind of like... <laughs> 
Spurgeon, they told him one time, said, Preacher, you're going to have to watch it. You're rubbing the cat the wrong way. He said, well, turn the cat around. Amen. It's not that the preacher's rubbing the cat the wrong way. Maybe the cat's in the wrong direction. But Henry, you know, you're not going to be able to have perfect peace with those who walk in opposition to God. You know why? Because as people who walk with God, we don't think like the world. We don't live like the world. We don't trust like the world. We don't hope in the same things. We have our hope in things eternal. We're not always going to be able to get along to be along. And it's hard and it's tough and it's, it's painful, but it is the truth. I think about how Titus must have felt. Hopefully if I live long enough, if I can live long enough to get into retirement years, somebody says the way you're going, it ain't going to happen. Right? But if I can, I'm really praying. I believe God's laying the groundwork even now for me and Angie to have a ministry to pastors and their wives. I mean, a, a close relationship. I'm not talking about huge conferences and stuff. I'm just talking about a ministry where we can personally invest in the lives of the next generation of pastors and their wives because I've never been a fancy preacher or a mega preacher or none of that stuff but I, do, I really want to be faithful really want to walk with God and I really want to help people uh, continue their journey and you know we talk about tough assignments well I've had some tough assignments we've all had in ministry and that's okay but do you know why God gives a pastor to a church he gives the pastor to the church as a gift. And I know, I know, y'all are hoping somebody kept the receipt. I understand that. Look, but look here. But he gives the church to the pastor as a gift. Do you, are you with me? It, we, we're, we're gifts to each other. Clara, you are my gift, and I am your gift. Aren't you excited? I mean, you put me on the shelf down at the bell ringer. Five dollars, you can rent the pastor as a gift. No, no, look here. We're getting, I can pick with Claire. She's been my friend a long time. And, and, and she, but here, here, we're gifts to each other. And see, there's things that this church needed that God somehow felt like I could help you with. And there's things that I needed in my life God knew y'all could help me with. This is, this is worth the trip, Marty. You know, sometimes we get this thing, people get to looking at the preacher as a hired hand. Amen? like he's our employee, you know? But look here. Yes, I'm on the payroll, but the real payroll's from heaven. And look here. Here's the deal. The pastor's not really your employee. He's the anointed and appointed man of God who's been placed there to lead you down the path toward God's perfect will for your church. you got to look at it. You can't look at him as an employee. And, and let me say this. The pastor can never look at the church as his project. This is, this is good. It's not, no, no, you're not my project. You're not, no, no, no. You are people that God loves. God cares about. God is gifted. And together, if we'll make a decision to be as God meant each other's gift, and your gift complement where I'm weak, my gift, if I've got one, can help complement where you. But through that together, here's what happens. God puts something together that's not about people being selfish or prideful or having to have territory or having to have their preference. He just puts people together and says, those are my people in whom I'm well pleased. They love me, God, and they love each other. 
That is what he wants, church. That is all he wants. And I want to help the coming generations behind me see that. That it's not some sort of commercialistic business. It is a blood-bought church purchased with the blood of Christ that is set on the rock of God that has been placed here to change the world. But think about old Titus again. If anybody had a rough assignment, he did, did he? God sent him out to Crete, an island in the Mediterranean, and said, you're to appoint elders in those churches and close up and quit. But Paul told him before he went, said, let me give you a word of encouragement. It's a bunch of lazy people over there. <laughs> they're lazy, they're gluttons, they're just, they're just over there just laid up. They're, they're not doing anything. But here's your assignment is you've got to go into that and you've got to find the diamonds in the rough. You've got to find the anointed and appointed men that God has set aside. You've got to agree with God on that, acknowledge it, and help appoint these men to be the elder, or the pastor, the presbyter of these church. And you've got to take them. And no, I wasn't speaking in tongues. That's a Greek word, okay? That's why I said, well, we're presbyter of Anyhow, so anyhow, you've got to put them in the place and those men are to lead the church. That was a hard job. Can you imagine? But listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. There are going to be many in our culture, and I think you agree, in days to come, if things continue as they are, that our religious liberties are going to come under greater and greater attack. Do you know what many will be? What will happen to many? Many will bail to the pressure and will forsake the word of God. John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, was in jail. You know what he was in jail for? Preaching the word of God. And you know what they said to him? They said, Mr. Bunyan, we will let you out today. No questions asked. You will be free to go under one condition. And that one condition is that you must promise that you will never preach the gospel again. <laughs> you know how he responded? He said, if you let me out today, I'll be preaching tomorrow. He didn't take the deal. Ladies and gentlemen, I want you to know, and I was reminded by a friend of mine this week, he said, listen, in our day and time, we may very well be put to the same test that Bunyan was. How will we respond? Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you today, I know there will be many that will cave to the pressure, but I want you to know, regardless, just like at Crete, God had raised up some people. God had his hand. God had them there. And Titus had to go do the work and appoint those people to lead. And just as though there were people, the remnant in Crete, there will always be a remnant. I just want to encourage you, be part of the remnant. Do not cave. Stay true to the word of God. Worth it. Then let them notice one, verse 115 and I'm done. Here's what he said. Depart from me, you evildoers. For I will keep the commandments of my God. Wait a minute. Here he is again. <laughs> He's out of the retreat. He's not hiding. He's confronting. And that's one of the reasons 
you rarely, if ever, hear me refer to this room as a sanctuary. I'll tell you why. You say, wait, now, preacher, we've always called it a sanctuary. That's fine. If you want to, nothing sinful about it. But a sanctuary is a place where you go high. I refer to it as a worship center because it's a place where we can come together and meet with God and bring glory to God, exalt His name, and then leave from this place of temporary retreat and go into a world and make a difference for the kingdom of God. You know what the psalmist was doing? He was speaking to the people around him who were evildoers, and here's what they were trying to do. They were trying to lure him away from what God had called him to do. They were trying to lure him away from the path of obedience. They were trying to lure him away from him experiencing victory over sin. But friends, it is the Lord who protects us and prepares us to confront our enemies. Let me take you back just a minute and I'm done. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. You don't have to turn there with me. I'm just going to mention a few things to you from this chapter. If I lived to the end of this month, it would be 35 years since I surrendered the call to ministry. If I lived April the 13th, it will be 35 years since the very first time I ever walked through a pulpit with a copy of the Word of God, placed it on the pulpit, read what I believed God had put in my heart, delivered the very first sermon I ever preached. It, I wrote down everything I knew about these verses I'm fixing to read, and the whole sermon lasted seven minutes. Yeah, they won't call me as pastor that day, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> but 35 years later, oh, it's going to be a little longer than seven minutes. You know why? Because I got something to say. And this word has come so alive in my heart it has been a road map, it's been a rule book, and it has taught me about relationship with the Holy God. And in 35 years, I want to tell you the words I'm about to read to you are more precious than they were that day. The psalmist said in Psalm chapter 1, the very first verse, he talks about the way a godly man walks in this world. He said, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. You know what he said about the blessed man? the man who walks with God he says he's very careful about where he walks he doesn't listen to the counsel of those who do not walk with God it's very important when you receive any counsel it needs to be counsel from what God's word says and not what somebody's dreamed up he says he doesn't sit in the path of sinners it means he doesn't make it his custom to get involved in the activity of sinners doesn't mean he's not a friend of sinners doesn't mean he doesn't share with sinners doesn't mean he doesn't love sinners because he is a sinner but it, means it doesn't make his custom that he gets involved in the activity of sinners he doesn't sit in the seat of the scornful he, but he does do this 
He makes his delight in the word of God. That's what I pray for you every day as I prepare between Sundays and Wednesdays to come talk to you. I pray that through the word of God, especially through this journey through Psalm 119, that you would meditate on God's word and it would infect and affect your life. Amen. I pray that you have a fresh encounter with the word of God and the God of the word and you can't do like Churchill said. You can't look at the truth and just dust it off like nothing ever happened. But when you encounter the truth, you come face to face with the God of the word and when you leave this place, that word has so affected your life. It affects the way you think. It affects the way you walk, the way you talk. It affects everything about you. People can't explain it. It's just that God's word has made such an impact on your life that you no longer follow the way of the world but you are delighting in the word meditating on the word day and night you know what he says you'll have some roots let me leave you with this you'll have some roots that'll go deep enough that when the storm shows up you'll still be standing after the storm You know, we know what droughts are all about here in the South, Jonah. We're not really in one. I heard the other day we're behind on rain. Did y'all hear that? I don't know who's keeping the gauge. But we know what droughts are like. You may be in one right now. And if you are, I want you to hear this preacher. I certainly wouldn't do one thing to hurt you, but I want to help you. And here's some of the best help you'll get. In your drought, don't take your eyes off Jesus. I read this. I was in a conference one time. They used a book by a guy named, uh, he was the the Venetian vine dresser, John chapter 15. They talked about these grapevines. And they noticed as this guy was bedressing his vines, it was in a time of tremendous drought. Well, what happens because you know, do we need to get some water out here and help them along? He said, no, 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 no. He said, sometimes the drought is good because if these vines never experienced drought, they'd never have to go deeper to find water. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I don't know about you, but in my times of drought, during those times that God forced me get my root deeper into his word sure was sweet when I found the water ladies and gentlemen he's our hiding place and in those times of drought when we go deeper to find the water don't you give up because you feel a little dry just ask God to help you get your root deeper in the ground
too. I bet many of you could testify and say, I, I had a sweet friend tell me the other day that's an aged friend that said, I've read more books and I've studied the word more in the last year than ever. And I thought to myself, man, this is great. Don't give up in the drought. Just keep your eyes on the Redeemer. Pray with me. Father, in Jesus' name, I'm so thankful for the words of the psalmist today. He said, he's my hiding place. Thank you, Lord, for being our hiding place. Thank you for being our place of refuge and retreat. Thank you for bringing restoration to our souls. And thank you for deliverance from drought. But thank you for the time that our roots just had to keep going deeper. Oh, Lord, we love you today. Because we know and we've sang about and we know it's true from your word that you love us. You for us. Thank you again for your word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hey, we did something this morning in early service that we used to do before the pandemic, before we had to do all this, you know, punting, playing defense and all that kind of stuff. Wait a minute, there's that football again, right? Uh, uh, you know, when we used to close, get done with the service, we'd take a moment and thank God for his word. We thank him for speaking to us through his word today. And I just want to tell you, do you remember when we used to do that? Does anybody remember that? Okay. So today I want us to do that again. And I want to do it like you really mean it. This is not for the preacher. This is for the word. And this is for the author and the finisher of our faith. <laughs> uh, the one who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, and now is set down at the right hand of God. But we used to celebrate. We thank God for his word. And I want us to do that today. Y'all want to help me with that, okay? So let's thank God for speaking to us through his word today. We pray that we're forever changed by the word. Would you help me thank God for the word today? Amen. 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 Because there's one thing I want to do is help you, is help you grow in your relationship, but have a real love and appreciation for the word of God. It means so much. Hey, before we dismiss, a couple of things. Take the perforated section. I've already pulled mine off. It's somewhere here. Here it is. Take perforated section. You know you can use this for prayer requests, praise reports, anything of that. If you're our guest, please leave some information with us so we can have a record of your visit today. And also, <coughs> if there's any ministry that you have questions about or a lot more information about, you can note that on your card and leave it in the offering bucket. Of course, I'm always here, not going anywhere. If you want to talk about things, you have decisions you need to make, we are here for you. You are the most important person to us today. And your relationship with God matters more to us than anything. So do remember that. But if you'd rather us just contact you, please leave some information. If you feel like this may be the church God would have you and your family to serve in, you can note that on your card. We'll be glad to contact you about that. We would love to have the opportunity to do so. So don't forget those things. I want to encourage you to continue to be faithful and giving. We had a, uh, had a tough month in February, but I believe we had a good month in January, but I believe we're going to spring back strong here in March. So I want to encourage you to be faithful in giving and all that kind of good stuff uh, here in the coming days. So I believe the Lord's going to use that tremendously, okay? So don't forget that. You can still use the online options. All that information is at our website, heflinbaptist.org, if you're watching online. And we appreciate you 
uh, doing that, okay? I do thank you for your faithfulness, and I thank you for your commitment to the vision God's placed in our heart. And I always want you to know before you leave every week to never forget that God loves you and that I love you, and there's not a thing you can do about it. Amen? Amen. Let's stand together, and as we're standing, don't forget Wednesday night, 6 o'clock, camping at Calvary. We're going to be talking about it here, talking about the crown of thorns on Wednesday night for our adults, children, at 6 also, students at 6.30. Have a blessed, blessed Lord's Day. Marty, sing when you're ready, bud. Sing about